Hey, welcome back to Unleashed at Work and Home. And my guest today is Sandy Weaver, a woman of many talents. She's an author, a speaker, a trainer, a coach, and an AKC dog show judge. I invited Sandy to come on today to talk to me about judgment, because I think there's all sorts of juicy stuff to explore there. Thanks for coming on, Sandy. Hey, Colleen. Thank you for the invitation. I'm really looking forward to this. So to start with the dog world, tell us a little bit about your judging past. What 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 you do and how that plays a role in your life. Well, first, are we assuming that everybody who's listening has either seen or been to a dog show? I mean, I, I think pretty much everybody on the planet has seen Westminster, don't you? Yeah, I think so. They at least know they exist. Exactly. So that's the kind of judging that I do. I do confirmation judging. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the kind of judging where, now I haven't done Westminster yet. It may be a few more years before I get invited there, but I sure <laughs> would like to. I do the kind of judging where you touch a dog inappropriately. You tell the handler who is wearing a really great outfit and really bad shoes to run away from you and straight back to you (laughs) and then run around the ring. That's the kind of judging I do. And it's, I, I started in dog sports a million years ago, actually it will be 40 years this year. That would be four zero, not (laughs) 40. It's a long time. And for my whole life, I wanted a Siberian Husky, but my dad was military. And so we couldn't have a dog that big. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we had a small dog and that was great, but I really wanted a Siberian. And so when I finally had a place of my own, I got my first Siberian. And you'd think in all those years of wanting a Siberian, I would have actually read a little bit about them. No, <laughs> I just love the way they looked. They looked kind of like a wolf, but I knew wolves made bad pets. So I wanted a dog that looked like a wolf. There you go. That's what I got. What I got was a handful. And by the time he was about seven months old, I had made every mistake in the book with that dog. Every mistake. And he was out of control. He was chewing up everything. He was tearing up everything. And I didn't know what to do, but I didn't want to be that person who dumped him off at the Humane Society because I couldn't handle him. Mm -hmm. So I asked my vet to please introduce me to people who successfully lived with Siberian Huskies. And she put me in touch with some members of the Greater Washington Siberian Husky Club. I was living in Washington, the Washington, D.C. area at the time. And she put me in touch with some people there. And they gently took me by the hand and showed me the error of my ways. And so I fell in love with dog sports. I went to my first dog show probably in 1979. And I never knew that there were that many breeds of dogs on the planet, mm-hmm. much less in Rock Creek Park on a random Monday. <laughs> You know, it was amazing to me. And to watch the judge try to sort through every single one of those dogs that was 10 times as beautiful as mine, I just didn't know how they did it. And for years, I just competed. You know, I got another dog. I neutered that one and took him through obedience training. And we had a great life together. And uh, he lived to a ripe old age. And I didn't kill him is what I'm actually trying to say here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there you go. Okay, that is relevant. A few times I really wanted to, uh, but I didn't. I learned how to live with the breed, and I learned how to live with him, and did much better with my next dog, and then the one after that. And by then, the bug, the dog show bug, had bit me, and it was all about confirmation for me for a long time, until the AKC Centennial Show had a, an agility. Mm-hmm demonstration. And it was just coming to America from England at that point. And 
I fell in love with that and couldn't wait to get a dog I could do that with. And I still did it with Siberians, but at the point that I saw it, most of my dogs were older and Mm -hmm. I didn't really feel like I could do it with them. But over the years, I've titled my dogs in confirmation, obedience, rally obedience, agility. I even had a mock Siberian. Okay, let me just say, I did not do the mock myself. What is a mock Siberian? Master Agility Championship. Ah, 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 okay. (laughs) So when you earn a mock title, it's just like putting a championship title on your dog. When you show in confirmation, you're, you're after earning the championship and then the grand championship and then the silver and the gold and the platinum champion, grand championship. It's all different levels. Mm-hmm. Well, in agility, you earn the novice title, then you earn the open title, then you earn the excellent title, then you start working on your mock. And you have to do, you have to earn all those titles And then on a mock, you have to double qualify or triple qualify every day, which means you have to qualify in every ring that you enter in. And that's really hard by itself. So I'm going to say that I bred the mock champion. She was my breeding, but I was not her handler or her owner. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to take credit for the early puppy neurological stimulation and the really good parents that I put together because that was an amazing litter. But um, yeah, yeah, she was not my, um, I didn't do the work. My friend Kathleen did the work. I think that's awesome. And all of the different areas that you went into, and I think that ties so beautifully into judgment because there are very different rules for judging an agility champion versus a confirmation versus yeah. nose work or freestyle yeah. or any of those yeah. things. And they all, they all do have a list of criteria. Yes. But they're very, very different. Yes. And you can be absolutely awesome without meeting all of those criteria. But to to achieve a certain level within a category, you need to know what your criteria are. Exactly. Yes. So, so my little uh, mixed breed Australian, probably cattle to Australian and um, Australian cattle dog Norwegian elk hound. That's what I'm trying to say. He, he doesn't have any of those things because the criteria that... The judgment criteria that he needs to live by are, are you friendly and sweet to Colleen? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's sort of funny, like the criteria changes and we need to have our own personal list of those things. Because I think in life, we, we're wired for judgment. Our brains don't like uncertainty, and oh, sometimes yeah. we would rather be, you know, definitively wrong than not know. You know, it's like I'd rather get bad news than no news. Like, oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, you know. And I think that's really interesting that the the gift of being able to decide yes or no, good or bad, feels so good to us. But sometimes we aren't really aware of what criteria we're using. Have you seen that? I've seen that a lot. And our, our brains are wired for negativity. Mm-hmm. Paragraph. That's the only reason that our species exists is because we're wired for negativity. Caveman and cavewoman that walked up and tried to take a cub from saber-toothed tiger did not live to reproduce and create any of the DNA that we walk around with. It's caveman and cavewoman who went up and quietly crept away and then started running. Yes. That that's in our DNA. So we're first of all, we are wired for negativity. And if allowed to our brain actually judges on autopilot Mm -hmm. and it judges everything. 
because that's kind of its job. That's mm-hmm. what we've been taught from babyhood. You know, don't touch the hot thing. So we have to judge, okay, the hot thing bad. You know, cold thing might be bad too if it's really cold, but you, you want that stuff in the middle. So right from childhood, we are, t- we are warned against, warned against. So it's, so the brain's negativity bias is reinforced in the way that we're brought up, even yes. the most positive parents. And I had really positive parents, mm-hmm. um, really great parents. They knew how to help us create our own happiness and help us make our own decisions in the right way. They still taught us to judge. They taught us to weigh the pros and the cons and the pluses and the minuses. And most of the time, when we do that, first of all, the harshest judgment is reserved for ourselves. Yeah. Never judge anybody else as harshly as we judge ourselves. And that needs to stop. Mm-hmm. That's It's one of the hardest things in the world to stop, but it really needs to stop. And a lot of times that judgment comes from programming we got when we were young. Mm-hmm. And I told you I had great parents, but things happen when you're a kid. You know, I when I was seven... I wanted to be a prima ballerina. I could see myself on stage in front of a a beautiful audience, standing room only, and I've got my pink sparkly tutu on and my pink satin toe shoes, and I'm, you know, jeting across the stage very gracefully to standing ovations and roses being thrown at my feet. Yeah, that was my dream. What I really wanted was ballet lessons. And we were not a well-to-do family. Not even close. And so it was a, would have been a stretch. I didn't know it at seven, but mm-hmm. it was a big, hard stretch. And I overheard my parents talking about it. And mom was on my side and dad was really quiet mm-hmm. until finally he said, she doesn't need ballet lessons. She's too clumsy to be a dancer. And I heard that message with my ears one time. Mm-hmm. But my dear, delightful, overactive, hypersensitive brain played that movie back to me over and over and over again. And if you know anything about the way that beliefs are formed, beliefs are only thoughts that you've had a lot that make a permanent connection inside your brain. So what happens is just one time too many, those two synapses open and shoot their little chemicals at each other. And then finally, even when the synapses are closed, they're connected. That's what a belief is. It doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means you thought it a lot. Right. And and you're so likely to develop those beliefs based on an emotional experience. And so hearing that she's too clumsy to be a dancer was an immediately painful experience for you. So your brain went, this is important. I need to remember. Whereas if your dad had said she's awesome, but we can't afford it, it wouldn't have been as emotional And you wouldn't have been as likely to remember it. Right. My dad would never have said that if he knew I could hear him. Mm -hmm. And he didn't mean it. That was just his way of not having to say that he couldn't afford it. Right. You know, that we couldn't afford it. So that's, he didn't want to tell my mom that we couldn't afford it. And so that was his way of saying it. But that's, so everybody has those. Everybody has those little things that happened. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So let's talk about that for a second, though. Did you adopt the idea that you are clumsy from that or that you were unworthy? Well, probably a little bit of both. But clumsy was big on my list. I, you know, I'm seven years old. The man I adore and I think is the smartest man on the planet has identified me as something. He's always told me I'm smart. He's always told me I'm pretty. 
he now he says I'm clumsy. Well, if I'm believing smart and pretty, then I also need to believe clumsy. Mm-hmm. I think it was probably my junior year in high school before I realized I was not clumsy. And that was because they introduced yoga in PE and I wouldn't go out for sports. I didn't play basketball. I didn't try, you know, I didn't, I did track and field, but only just a little bit, never on a team, just, okay, that's, I'll do this. But yeah, I believed I was clumsy and there was probably a little unworthiness in there too. There would have been more if dad would have said something like, we can use that money on way better stuff than that. Mm -hmm. You know, if it had been like that, that would have been a double slap. This was about my physicality. So, okay, I'm clumsy. Next. You know, but I could I never let it go. Right. I don't believe it anymore because I proved to myself that I'm not. But it's one of those beliefs that almost everybody has beliefs that were formed like that. It was right. either something that you heard one time and your helpful brain helped you remember it. Mm-hmm. Like, and playing it back and playing it back or in families where the dynamic wasn't as supportive as mine it's things that are said to you all the time people are brought up believing that they're not enough or they're not worthy or they're a mistake or Mm -hmm. they're stupid or they're ugly or whatever because they're told that Mm -hmm. it's not true it's just something that your brain believes because those synapses fired often enough to connect And the cool thing about that, and I love to teach people this, this is my favorite tool, favorite tool, favorite tool ever, to break those bad beliefs, that bad judgment that you have about yourself is a mental stop sign. And I learned this trick out of Cosmopolitan magazine when I was probably 20 years old and had a bad breakup with a guy I thought was the man of my dreams. And I'm reading, you know, the the eight things was listicles even before listicles were a thing. eight things to do when you just uh, had a bad breakup. And one of them was a mental stop sign. And it Mm -hmm. was literally when you notice that your brain is taking you down an unproductive road, put up a mental stop sign in front of your face and laugh at yourself and think about something else. And if you can't in that moment, think about something else, sing a song because you can't think a bad thought while you're singing a song. And so you just distract yourself and until you've taught your brain that you're not really interested in that thought. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, it's really powerful, isn't it, to be able to, uh, first off, notice the awareness piece of that is so important, but then be able to redirect it. In, in my resilience group, someone was talking recently about how she's adopted the idea of that she's, you know, a little flaky. And she said, honestly, if I think about it, I'm not very flaky, but I talk about myself as if I am like, oh, I'm just, you know, oh, I make so many mistakes. Oh, my gosh, another. Oh, my goodness. And she said, and when I look around, I think all of the other people around me are just knocking it out of the park and I'm the flake who works here. And she said it was very empowering to her to realize that she was judging herself so much more harshly because if someone else made a mistake, she said, look, this amazing person made a mistake. These things happen. And if she made a mistake, she was like, ah, par for the course. I'm such a flake. And it's, it's so painful to realize that this amazing, talented, kind, caring, compassionate woman has been walking around all of these years judging herself so harshly. And I love that she's starting to turn that around. And it's kind of that stop sign. She kind of catching herself when she's like, oh, I'm such a flake, going, no, wait, no, no, that's not, that's not the case. Pulling up some evidence against it. Exactly. 
Yep. That's, that's what you have to do. You have to remind yourself that your brain is not in charge. You are in charge and Mm -hmm. you can tell it to shut up if it's saying things that you don't want to hear. And that's hard to do, but it is the pathway to happiness and success. It really is, is getting control of your brain, not letting your brain be in charge, not letting old program run, old programming run things all the time. Mm -hmm. So what would you say is a good tip for somebody who is is wanting to think a little bit more about judgment and what kind of judgments he or she is internalizing they may not be aware of? First of all, just be in the moment because your only power is in the now. You can't sit at the end of the day and go, well, I judged myself there and I judged myself there and I judged myself there and I shouldn't do that. (laughs) It doesn't help you at all because you need to catch it while it's going on and remind yourself that that's just old programming in your brain. That's an old tape that's playing. It doesn't matter anymore. It's not, it never was real. It's just something that I used to say. So that's a good phrase. Oh, look, I'm just saying something I used to say. Mm -hmm. I'm not that way at all. And for people who really like to use affirmations, take what you say about yourself, turn it around and make it positive. And the strongest way that I've ever found to do an affirmation, and this is going to sound ridiculous, but it absolutely works, is to stand in front of a mirror and look yourself in the eyes and put two fingers in the center of your throat so that you can feel the vibration of your words and say your affirmation. So after you brush your teeth, before you brush your teeth, do your affirmation, whatever it is, and affirm it at the beginning of the day, affirm it at the end of the day. But when you do it in front of a mirror with your fingers on your throat, You are seeing yourself say those words, you are hearing yourself say those words, and you are feeling yourself say those words. And it's really powerful. How interesting. That reminds me um, of a toast that I was told that the reason we clink glasses to make a toast is to add that additional sense. Like you can smell it, and you can see it, and you can taste it, but that the clink adds in the hearing piece. And so your piece of putting your fingers on your throat adds in this vibrational physical sensation to it that makes the experience that much more sensory and deeper. Right. It's fascinating. And so I just, when you were talking about clinking glasses, I went immediately to clicker training. Are we clicker training ourselves when we make a toast? (laughs) Well, I mean, if you think about it, this is really all dog training. Because when a client says to me, I want my dog to stop jumping on grandma, I say, awesome. What do you want instead? What behavior do you want? And so same thing with some of these judgment thoughts. I want to stop saying I'm such a flake. Great. What do you want to say instead? And that will turn it into the positive. You know, I'm capable. I, everyone makes mistakes and I make some too. But I can, I can do many things. That's an awesome thing to say. That's really empowering. And it it doesn't diminish anything by acknowledging that you do make mistakes. Everybody does. Everybody does. And we don't judge others for them nearly as harshly as we do ourselves. Right. There was a a USA Today study that found, oh, no, I I misspoke. Today, an AOL study that found 60% of adult women have negative thoughts about themselves at least weekly. And I thought that was low based on what I've heard. I think it's really low. I think most women have negative thoughts about themselves every day. I think so too. Every single day, lots and lots of them. Mm -hmm. And we don't, we don't know we're doing it. 
because we're letting our brain be on autopilot Mm -hmm. and we're not in the moment. So the key for me is because all your power is right now. You have no power two minutes ago and you have no power two minutes from now. All of your power is right now. And so if you're not paying attention to right now, if you're busy thinking about what happened two minutes ago or thinking about what might happen in two minutes, you're not, you have no power. You have zero power, none right then. So if you want to take care of things, if you want to turn things around, you've got to be paying attention to what's going on right now. And that includes what's going on inside your head. Actually, I think that's probably, unless you're driving, probably the most important thing that you need to pay attention to. If you're driving, you probably need to pay attention to driving. (laughs) We all hope so. Yes. (laughs) Especially if we're on the road. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But it is true that all of these thoughts pop up as actual thoughts and we hear them, but we're not always paying attention to them. You know, yeah. the I'm such a flake thought pops into her head, but she's not catching it in that moment. Well, she wasn't, but now she right. is. Now she is. <laughs> it's a process and she needs to be, I, and you know this, she needs to be just really patient with herself. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. The phrase that I use with myself all the time is when I'm perfect, I'll run for God. In the meantime, I'm human and I make mistakes. And that makes me laugh. So, yeah. you know, it, it offends some people. So I apologize if it offends you. Some people think it's a little sacrilegious, but, you know, there is that that position's already taken. But when I'm perfect, I might run for it. <laughs> right. But it won't be any day soon because I'm human. And yeah. I, I, I screw stuff up just like we all do. And, and the thing is, we, we all take, we all think everybody else is so much better than we are mm-hmm. because we take our strengths for granted. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. come easily to us. So we're harder on ourselves in our weaknesses and we take our strengths for granted and we think everybody else is so much better than us. And yet we can be pretty harsh judges of other people too. Very true. Because our brain goes to MSU. And that's not Michigan State University or Maine State University or Minnesota State University. It's making stuff up. It's how it's designed. We get bazillions of pieces of input into our brain every day through our five senses. And some would say through the sixth sense. And I would agree with that because our sixth sense is actually what we feel, the vibrations that we pick up from other people. Like if you've walked into a room And there are two people in the room and you didn't see them arguing and you didn't hear them arguing, but you can feel that an argument was happening. Mm -hmm. That's what I call the sixth sense. It's not, you know, crazy ESP thing. It is a sensory ability we all have. And we can learn to use even more if we stay in the present. Gosh, it's that in the present thing again. (laughs) But our brain takes in all this information. And in order to try to store it appropriately, it takes things that look like they belong together and makes up a story about them. Mm-hmm. And because our brains have a negative bias, the story is often very negative. Yes. And we tend to judge people in areas that we have some sensitivity around. So right. if I am not at all a gardener. I do not care what my lawn looks like. And one of my neighbors mentioned a few years ago that we had dandelions in our yard. And I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> so... <laughs> I can see from the perspective of this is a person who cares about her lawn. It was easy for her to feel judgy about me. And yet I don't feel judgy about most people's lawns, except I do sometimes catch myself being a little bit judgy about like tons of junk in your yard. 
So like, I don't want to have the perception that there's a ton of junk in my art. And there is not. But that was an interesting distinction for me to make at that point was to be like, oh, lawns are something I don't really care about. You can have flowers and I will admire them and love that you put the effort into your lawn, but I'm not going to do it. And you can feel like my lawn is sort of patchy and sad, but but mowed. Okay. Um, but we judge, you know, women on their dress all the time. Well, why do we do that? We do that because we're concerned about how we appear and we know that we're being judged on it. And so there's that moment of insecurity. So our judgments do tend to be focused on areas where we're maybe vulnerable to shame. I mean, to use Brene Brown's words, the areas that we're, we're feeling sensitive, um, which is why parenting is such a hot button and basically everything else. I mean, dog training is a huge hot button for all of that, too. Right. There's a right way and you're not doing it. No, but there's not a right way because every single human being is different. And so you have to go with that flow. And that's the hardest thing. I I never was a parent myself, but to me, that's got to be the hardest thing about parenting. I have two brothers and the three of us are cut from the same piece of cloth and we are as different as we can possibly be. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how my parents managed to juggle all that and raise three, you know, fabulously functioning adults. But they did. So that was good. And talking about showing two women showing up in this, you know, wearing the same outfit, I, I've always wondered why that's a cat fight and why it's not a celebration of two women with great taste in mm-hmm. clothes. You know, that's how I choose to do it. And I've had that happen a couple of times in my life and actually a few times. And, you know, you get the look from the other one and you can feel, again, the sensory, the ESP thing, you can feel their vibe. And so I just go over and break it and say, just, man, you have excellent taste in dresses or shoes or whatever it Absolutely. is. Absolutely. You're just fabulous. Look at you. You all pulled it all together. That looks great. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a competition. No. Life is not a competition. And there's not what is, you know, I think we've mentioned it earlier, lack mentality. You know, there's not, is, there's not a shortage of goodness to go around. There's plenty of goodness. And if we just give people the benefit of the doubt for a minute, I, I worked at a radio station in Washington, D.C. a long time ago. It was Q107 at the time. I think it's Mix 107.3 now. And it, I worked with a woman who had not been being very nice to me. And I met her in the hallway. I was going one direction. She was going the other direction. And I said, good morning to her. And she was really grumpy back at me. And in my head, I thought, well, what did I ever do to her? Mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, she hasn't been very nice to me lately. And then I thought, well, she was in the boss's office yesterday and the door was closed. She's trying to take my job. She wants my job. She is trying to get my job. <laughs> I am embarrassed to say my brain did that. That is a, a real MSU. Good <laughs> MSU. That is, MS, that is classic MSU, but that's how our brains work. Yes. If we let him go on autopilot, well, here was the real story. The real story was, yes, she was grumpy that morning. Yes, she'd been being kind of real cold to me lately, but she'd been cold to everybody because she was having some really bad personal problems and had a really bad drinking problem. And she was in the boss's office because he was telling her to shape up or he was going to fire her. She wasn't after my job. Now, imagine if in my imagined state of mind Mm -hmm. and what I thought was going on. And, you know, that happened in my head. So I thought I was right Mm -hmm. because it's inside my brain. So it must be right. 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 That's 
kind of how we work. And we that whole we... brain wanting the certainty piece. Once you it had is... a story that fit the facts as you knew them, your brain was happy and yep. stopped looking, you know, like, oh, good. Yeah, exactly. she's totally after my job. I knew it. So imagine the nice little workplace spat that would have happened if I'd had a conversation with her from my point of view. Yeah. She would have been confused. I would have been angry mm-hmm. and confrontational, which is not my style. But if I'd had a conversation, that's how I would have been. Mm-hmm. And she would have been totally confused and then backed into being defensive. And that's that's not good for anybody's work dynamics. No. That just stinks. So when you're when you understand that your brain wants to go to MSU, if you take it off of autopilot and go now, okay, that's an interesting theory, but it's not necessarily right. Thank you, brain. Funny story. Ha ha. And, <laughs> and don't treat it as if it's true. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, you know, that's one of those things that just makes workplaces or any kind of interpersonal communication so much better. If instead I would have asked her, Hey, what have I done something to you that I need to apologize for? You know, if I just opened up and said that, mm-hmm. then that w- would have given her a chance to talk to me about the problem that she was having, which I didn't know. She, nobody at work knew she was having it. Right. We just all knew she wasn't showing up on time for things and she wasn't doing a really good job. And, and she was not very nice. And I think curiosity that you just alluded to right there, that, you know, opening the conversation that way with her is really one of the best ways to get back into the now. So that when our brain is spinning off, having a little bit of curiosity of like, well, now that was interesting. I wonder what made me think that. I wonder why I made these leaps or I wonder what I could do differently or I wonder what other stories there could be. Being sort of open to let's let's explore and play with this can help us lower the stakes a little bit in that negativity brain. Yeah, exactly. And especially when your brain is going into fight or flight mode, which is mm-hmm. which is exactly where mine went. She's trying to take my job. Yeah. You know, I wanted that job. I liked that job. I did not want anybody to take my job. So that was my stupid amygdala kicking in and trying to save my life. Ah, you know, it, which was really important in caveman and cavewoman days. But, you know, we still wear that DNA and we, still we do. don't need it in 2019. We don't need it in 2019. But that's how it shows up. It shows up in ways like that. It shows up in somebody cuts you off in traffic and you wave at them, not necessarily with all of your fingers. Mm-hmm. That's your amygdala showing up. You know, mm-hmm. that that little burst of anger is is your amygdala showing up. And the faster you can catch it and pull it back and take your brain to a different place instead of letting it just run rampant and ruin the rest of your day or the rest of your week. I don't remember how long I've stewed over that but I think I stewed over that for a pretty good length of time and that was just stupid but I didn't know any better I know better now (laughs) and that's so empowering isn't it It to really see how that can change your life yes absolutely well this has been awesome talking to you about judgment today Sandy I really we've had a lot of fun here Colleen it's been a blast thank you for letting me talk talk dogs and talk brains with you yeah I know two of my favorite topics so (laughs) always fun thanks so much for being on Unleashed at Work and Home do you want to feel stronger happier and more resilient let's face it who doesn't check out the new Unleashed Resilience Skills Groups they're online small group sessions that are guaranteed to improve your outlook on life Visit ColleenPilar.com for more info.